thank you for coming to chapel today. I know you had a choice of taking a nap or choosing chapel, and I appreciate those of you who took the chapel. And you all cleaned up really good last night, and you're not doing so bad this morning. Open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. If I have time, after I'm done, I'll tell you about my books that I, I have seven books, and I want to make a special deal to you today. It never gets any better than this. They're in the West Wing as you leave. Uh, they sell, oh, some of them are marked $15, some $22, $23, and you can have anything you want, no matter how many you buy, for $10 a piece. And I accept cash and checks and credit cards and uh, no longer needed engagement rings and I usually take small children but uh, I don't think you have too much in that currency stand with me if you don't mind Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21 Paul never went to the church at Colossae it was a great church from all that we can tell. Demas was from that church, we think. He went back to Colossae after he had departed from the apostle Paul. And he's moved by the spirit of God to write, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. What a marvelous thing that a sinful man can be reconciled with a holy God through the person and the work and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never any better news than that. In the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Read the next word. If. If. You mean my salvation is subjunctive, indicating doubt, it's in question? No, no, the reconciliation hath been accomplished. You were alienated, you have been reconciled. Here's what's in question. How you would be presented at the end of your life. God's plan is to present you wholly and unblameable and unreprovable. Whether or not that happens depends on if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. I believe that to mean that the early church fulfilled the Great Commission. Actually, it says that twice in these verses in Colossians. Amazing with all of our technology and all of our tools that we are not doing so well in the 21st century. Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. I want to talk to you about this thought if you continue. Father, Open our hearts to the truth of your word. Give me power from your spirit and direct me to say all but only the things you want said. And we will thank you in Jesus' name for everything you do. Amen. You may be seated. Fifty years ago, a few months from now, I 
graduated from college. Now, it's been intriguing and uh, somewhat disappointing to see what has happened to the people with whom I graduated. Some of them are dead. Some of them went to jail. Some of them went to wicked lifestyles. Some of them became less than an independent fundamental Baptist. Because one of the most important things you'll ever do is to continue. Our text gives us two cautions. Number one, don't swerve from the truth. Number two, don't get stuck on the path. They are in that word continue. See, the word continue implies not only permanence, but also progress. There are two dangers here. Uh, there are two cautions for us. Some people get stuck. Dr. Asmussen, you'll remember Dr. Hiles saying, I'm not going to have a computer. I don't want a computer. Uh, he said, they told me I could save the salaries of three people in our offices. If I got a computer, he said, which three do you want me to fire? I got a computer. An 8088, some of you don't even know what that is. It was before the 286, 386, 46, Pentium, and all the rest of it. And the, a man our church bought me a laptop computer. It was amazing. Now, there you got to understand, we were using big old concordances to look up words. And I could take a Bible verse, click on the word, and it would bring up Strong's Concordance. I thought, man, is that slick. And I showed it to Brother Hiles, and he said, that's spooky. <laughs> now, I believe it is important that you make progress. Uh, I don't think uh, that it's sinful to use a microphone. I don't think that you damage your fundamentalism by using a screen. I think that God wants you not to get to a church of 75 and 10 years later have a church of 75. That's the parable of the pounds and the talents. He expects you to take what he's given to you and increase it and multiply it and go forward with it. And the two cautions are, number one, don't swerve from the path. And number two, don't get stuck in the path. Don't just stay there. There is a, a tendency in this generation to just want to be comfortable to not stick your neck out, to not risk, to, to not uh, put yourself in an awkward or difficult position, to just do what's going to be safe and secure and easy for you to do. Can I tell you, young men, when you get out in the ministry, it will require risk. It will require sticking your neck out. It will require taking big steps. David Lloyd George, former prime minister of England, a godly man, said, do not be afraid to take a large step when one is indicated. Watch this. You can't cross a chasm in two small jumps. Man, there have been times... We were called to God to do something starting our Christian school was one of them. Didn't have any money, had two acres, had a building, wouldn't hold a school any way that you sliced it. Thought we had the building we could rent and that fell through. And then we came up to, to June and we don't have a, 
any kind of a settled plan for a building and the bids come in and they're 33% higher than we thought we could possibly afford. And I thought, what in the world are we going to do? Man, we, we stuck our neck out. God helped us. We got the Christian school. So don't swerve from the path. Did you know God put you at West Coast Baptist College on purpose? Did you know he gave you a King James Bible on purpose? Did you know he put you under the tutelage of great men, Dr. Chapel, Dr. Rasmussen, Dr. Getch, and many other good ones, Brother England, Brother Burt, and people coming up that tremendous influences on your life. He didn't do that accidentally. He wanted to give you a body of truth based on the word of God that you would never depart from. Don't swerve from the truth. When I was in college, there was a young man that... Uh, he was somebody. He was the president of this and the vice president of that. He wore French cuffs with fancy links and, and he would take a week of cuts in the spring and a week of cuts in the fall and go preach revival meetings. And the rest of us were scrounging around to preach to a bunch of drunks at a jail or a bunch of drunks at a rescue mission or a bunch of drunks at a street corner somewhere. This guy was somebody. He married a pastor's daughter. I'd known her growing up. Her dad and my dad were friends. Beautiful girl, talented girl. He was going to be an evangelist. And so he went to work when he graduated for the Ford Motor Company. Because he said, I have to provide for my family. Yeah, you wouldn't want to trust God to do that. You'd be better off trusting the Ford Motor Company. He preached a few retreats, weekend meetings. He had an idea and he wound up starting a travel company that grossed $4 million its first year back in the late 70s. By the third year, the travel company was bankrupt and the FBI was trying to find him to indict him for fraud. Last I knew, he was working for a Burger King in South Carolina. I, stopped by to see if I could see him. And they informed me rather formally, Mr. So-and-so is no longer associated with our company. Hey, you've fallen pretty low and Burger King doesn't want anything to do with you. Divorced. What happened? God, he said, called him to be an evangelist and he went to work for the Ford Motor Company. He didn't stay on the path. He swerved from the path. Uh, 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 two cautions. Don't swerve from the path. Don't get stuck on the path. I read a blog by a preacher who's encouraging people to change. And it's intriguing. Uh, he didn't go from here to here. He went from here to here to here to here to here to here. And he said this. He said, at this time, I am majority text. And then he said later on, at this point, I have no interest in joining the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, I, I read that blog and I, I said the most instructive and intriguing uh, and indicting words in the blog were at this time. Right. You know what it indicates? He's not sure he's going to stay there. Right. Hey, I, I am T.R., I was TR. I shall be TR. If you believe what the Bible says about itself, you have to take a TR position. Amen. It's real simple. I'm a real simple guy. The Bible says this. Now, you say, well, that's circular reasoning. You're using the Bible to prove which Bible you want to use. Well, who are you going to use? 
Some dead scholar that didn't believe Jesus was the son of God. Somebody that thought it was better to worship Mary than to cling to the Bible. Talked about Mary-olatry. Talked about bibliolatry, but was guilty of Mary-olatry. I think I'll just stick with the word of God. I think I'll just stay on that path. I, I think I'll just uh, try by the grace of God to keep going forward, keep reaching people, keep learning, keep growing, keep understanding. I am amazed how many things I still have to learn. I, people say, does, this, does the Lord speak to you, brother? Well, oh yes, he speaks to me all the time. And usually he says, you are an idiot. <laughs> and he's always right. I'm amazed how stupid I can be. How many lessons I have to relearn? How many things I have not learned yet in my 70 years of life? <clears throat> two cautions. And then there are two conditions. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. Here's two conditions. God wants you to be solid, grounded. He wants you to be settled. The word grounded means to lay a foundation. Your foundation is in the Bible and it ought to be settled in concrete that goes 50 feet down into the ground. Not moving, not changing. Uh, you're going to grow. You're going to build on that foundation, but never change the foundation. And then, and not only is it solid, grounded, it's to be settled. It means to, that word means to be steadfast, to be immovable. I would, I would recommend you young men to study 1 Timothy 1.4 and 2 Timothy 2.23 and Titus 3.9. It is intriguing to me that the Spirit of God moves the Apostle Paul three times in three epistles, pastoral epistles, to tell people, hey, don't get stuck in a bunch of stupid arguments. Watch out for questions that gender strife. Have no benefit to the hearer. I said something to staff meeting. I'm on Twitter because my young staff persuaded me to while I was still pastoring years ago, and I probably should do it different. But uh, I, don't, I don't follow anybody. I would follow Brother Chapel, I follow Dr. R, but then everybody you follow, there's somebody else you ought to follow, and everybody wondered why you follow them and not follow me, so I, I didn't know what to do, so I just didn't do it. I don't answer anybody. I will answer a sincere question by direct message. But I'm not going to get in those silly debates. If I thought I could help somebody, I would. If it's a genuine question, I'll approach them individually and answer the question if they're seeking to learn. But most of the people on Twitter are not seeking to learn. They're seeking to argue. And they're seeking to get the platform of somebody like Brother Chapel with 24,000 followers so that they who have three followers now become somebody. And God says, don't you mess with that stuff. Now, one of the reasons I don't do it is because I like it. I debated in college. I like to argue. Uh, if I had not been a preacher, if God had not graciously allowed me to serve him in the ministry, I'd probably have tried to go into law. I mean, I argued with my mother when I was a kid. I might as well get paid for it, so. <laughs> Don't get in all that stuff. Stay solid. Stay settled. Watch out if you find yourself always revisiting fundamental issues like the Word of God. Yeah, God says, no, no, you, you continue. You stay grounded and settled. 
And then there are two callings in our text. The Bible goes on to say, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And before that, it says, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. End of verse 23, beginning verse 24. There is a call to serve. The word diakonis means to run errands. It means to attend. It means to be a waiter. It's not a classy word. It's not a snotty position, a sophisticated place. No, it's just a helper. Did you know everybody in the work of God has the same job? We are servants. I preach out all the time, and the preachers will say, what do you want about this and how about that? And I, I often say, I hope to be the easiest guy you ever have to mess with. I discovered as a young pastor that the quota for big shots in the work of God was filled a long time ago. You watch out if you get thinking you're beyond doing some medial task for the cause of Christ. I became an assistant pastor. Wow. Done with college, didn't like college. Liked, liked the activities. You know, had, had fun doing stuff in the room, enjoyed dating, and um, loved that I met my wife and got married, but the grind of it didn't appeal to me. Many times I was tempted to quit. One time I worked for a moving company in the summer, and I moved a man from Akron, Ohio to Saginaw, Michigan. He was setting up a computer system for General Motors, and he said, hey, why don't you come work for me? Offered me a really good salary and a really good future. He told me I'd start out as a data processor and in three years he'd make me a computer programmer. This was about 1971. And I was tempted. I was barely getting by, had trouble paying my bills. And I thought about it. But God helped me to continue. Do you know when I went back, that's the year I met my wife? Wow. I'd have missed out one of the greatest blessings in my entire life if I had not continued. A lot of sidetracks, a lot of temptations, a lot of ways to get off. I, I ran out of money one time and I thought, well, I'll join the army. Vietnam War was going on. Here's how intelligent I am. I said, I already got out of high school at 16, so I can join the army, do a two-year hitch, volunteer, for Vietnam, then volunteer for an extra month in Vietnam, get out six months early, take summer school, and still graduate with my original class in 1974. I filled out the paperwork. I was ready. I was tired of being out of money. I got a call from Roadway Express. I had applied there six times, and, and the, the minimum wage was $1.60 then, and Roadway was paying $4.83 an hour. For casual help, they'd call you up at 11 o'clock, say, come in, you'd work all night and go to school, load trucks, run forklifts, do that kind of stuff. And, and that call came just, just before. I thought I might go down to the recruiting office and sign the papers that I had filled out. Man, I'm glad God kept me on track. I might not even be alive today, wouldn't be the person I am today, wouldn't know the same people, certainly wouldn't have met my wife if I was in Vietnam and not in Bible college. A call to serve, a call to suffer. Now, I'm gonna tell you something that uh, I hope you can handle. It's very emotional. 
It's quite dramatic. I, I want you to restrain yourselves. I'm going to tell you about my call to preach. When I was a little boy, my parents taught me that anytime somebody said to me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I should say, whatever the Lord wants me to be. Wow, that's a pretty good idea. Let's try that. I'm going to say, what do you want to be when you get out of college? And you're going to say, very good. So what do you want to be when you get out of college? I said that so much, I came to believe it. I went to Bob Jones Academy so that I could get out of high school a year early. Stayed for summer school. They gave me a card. Early days of computers, it was called a, it was a punch card, a data processing card. And they said, uh, fill out what you're going to major when you come back. And I just left it blank. I got back six weeks after I left and they had enrolled me in a course of studies called humanities. It's a general course of study. Well, I'm human. That should work. I looked at that card and I said, oh, that's wrong. I'm supposed to preach. I went down to the office and put me in Bible. I thought you'd be a little more excited. I thought you'd enter into the drama. My decision, no, no struggle. No long nights going back and forth. No dramatic service at a summer camp. I just looked at the card and said, I'm supposed to preach. But I knew that's what I was supposed to do. And a lot of temptations get off the path on the way. My senior year of college, they had us enter a sermon contest. I wasn't sure what I thought about preaching for a contest, but I had an older friend and he said, well, they told me to do it, so I'm gonna do it. I thought, well, that's pretty good. They told me to do it, so I did it. I got in the finals. There was a guy there, I could tell you his name, and I thought he won. He preached a great sermon. I could, I could take the main points of the sermon and some of his illustrations right now, 50 years later. I thought he won the sermon contest. His name was David Holmes. I got out of college, youth pastor a couple of years, went to Bridgeport. It's there a little while, church grew. We're starting a Christian school. I went down to look for teachers and Guy Altizer, pastor in the Calvary Baptist Church in Simpsonville, South Carolina. He said, well, you're in town, why don't you preach for me tonight on Wednesday night? I said, all right. I went over to that church and I'm standing in the lobby and in walks, David Holmes. I said, David Holmes. He said, Renee Willette. I said, uh, he said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm preaching tonight. What are you doing here? Oh, he said, I go to church here. And then he said, I'm a lawyer here in Greenville. I like the law. I was on the Attorney Grievance Commission in Michigan for six years. We decided what to do when a lawyer violated the canon of ethics. It was a fun experience. I got to witness to a lot of people I'd never met otherwise. It was a good deal. If I hadn't been a preacher, would have probably tried to be a lawyer. But, uh, but when he said that, lawyers make more money than preachers. Lawyers live in nicer houses than preachers. Lawyers take fancier vacations and drive more expensive cars than preachers. And when he said that, I immediately felt sorry for him. Now, I do not know that he was out of the will of God. I do not know that he was doing right or wrong. I, I, that's none of my business. I'm not aware of that at all. I just knew that I got to do something with my life that mattered for eternity. And he got to help people buy houses and set up companies and divorce their spouse. Man, I'm glad God let me serve him.
And, and if I was not in full-time Christian work, I, I believe I would still want to witness to people and teach a class and be involved in the work of God because there's nothing better in the whole world to do with your life than serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But there's a call to suffer. Do not rejoice in my sufferings for you. Endure hardness. The Bible says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. You know, one of the main reasons people get off the path is they're unwilling to suffer. We got married, my wife and I, our grocery budget was $10 a week. I usually did not have enough money to fill the car up with gas. I'd put a dollar or two in it. That's when we thought it was terrible. The gas had reached 50 cents a gallon. I remember paying 25 cents a gallon for gasoline, 24.9 cents a gallon. Of course, Dr. Getz, a little older than me, he remembers when they just had hay stations. But anyway... It barely got by. Had a beat up old car, the accelerator stuck, the air conditioning blew out hot air and the heater blew out cold air and the thing stalled all the time and barely got by. And we had a lot of fun. And God took care of us and he provided everything. And we had some attacks in life and some difficulties and some hardships. A lot of people get off the track. And Paul said, no, no, no. He said, rejoice. I rejoice. I, Paul, am made a minister who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. The Bible says the early disciples rejoiced in that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. My dad ran the Detroit Rescue Mission when I was a boy. I was born in South Carolina, but when I was young, he moved to Michigan. And he would have a summer camp for inner city kids. And because I was the Superintendent's son, I got to go to the camp. I remember one year, it was, the kids were all older than me. I was, I was maybe 10 and they were all 12, 13, 14. And uh, one day, two cabins had a rumble. That's what they used to call it when two gangs would fight each other and these cabins fought each other and these guys are coming in and swinging stuff. And, and you know what I did? I just instinctively got under the bed and there was a coat hanger there so I participated by taking the coat hanger and reaching out and hitting the ankles of the bad guys. <laughs> now they were nice to me. I mean, I saw you, I saw you hitting on the ankle. That's good. It was all over. I, I was embarrassed that I wasn't involved. And then talk about the guy they hit and they're showing the bruise they had and talk about one guy bleeding a little bit. And I said, I, I hit that guy in the ankle with the coat hanger. <laughs> Day or two later, we had rest hour. Swimming was right after rest hour, all wearing our swimming trunks. And one of the kids there decided that we ought to use our flip-flops as swords and have a fight. And he challenged me to a flip-flop fight. <laughs> I don't know why the counselor let it go on, but I said, all right. So I grabbed a flip-flop and he grabbed a flip-flop and I went, whoosh, and he went. Choo -choo -choo. Did you know, go back and try this. Those things can cut, <laughs> literally. I mean, I had cuts all over my body. 
And he was virtually unmarked. I didn't quit. I stuck with the deal. They made me go to the nurse and she put iodine over all those cuts before I could go swimming again. But I want to tell you something. I felt a lot better being bruised and battered than I did hiding under the bed. Don't hide under the bed. Don't run away from it. We had a member of our church named Bruce Berg. I bet you you could find him if you looked him up on Google. I did a few years ago. Very wealthy man. He was a big executive in Wicks Lumber, Menards. He left us to take a job at Home Depot. He wound up being in charge of the Southern Division of Home Depot, which was then two-thirds of the company. Multi, multi, multi-millionaire. Last time I visited him, he had a house on Treasure Island in Florida, outside of Tampa there. He had a, right on the ocean. He had a Dodge Viper and a BMW in the garage. When those houses, they built it up a level of the garage underneath. So when the, the water came in, it wouldn't damage their house. And, uh, he had a 45-foot boat with a full-time captain to have the boat ready anytime he wanted to go out. And he wrote me a letter one day. In spite of all his success, he'd been raised by a harsh, demanding, and unloving father, and he was his whole life trying to prove himself. He told me, he said, a lot of what I did, I did to impress my father. It doesn't work so well when they're dead. He said, Home Depot spent a lot of money on me on strings. Now, he was a bluff, tough, aggressive, outgoing guy. You wouldn't have thought it. He said, they spent a lot of money in shrinks. He said, I wrote a letter to my dad and I took it out to his grave. And I, I said in the letter, I know kids don't come with instructions, but you did a lousy job. He wrote me a letter. He said, I want you to share this with the congregation. He said, I made a million dollars many times over. But in his wealth and success and effort to prove he was somebody, he wound up straying from his marital vows, and he said, but I lost something more precious than gold, the wife of my youth. And then he said this, many times I have sat in a motel room with a loaded nine millimeter Beretta in my mouth and did not have the courage to pull the trigger. And he said, I want you to tell the congregation there's something more important than money and there's something more important than material success. And I'm here to remind you that what it is is being in the will of God and serving God and staying on the path and being solid and settled. I heard a story one time, an old man sitting by the side of the road. A traveler came by and said, mister, is this the road to such and such a place? And the old man answered him strangely. He asked where he was from, and he knew where he was headed, and he said this. He said, well, he said, you've come too far to go back. The side road is worse, and this is no place to spend the night. Looks to me like you might as well just go on. I'm 70 years old. I hope when you're my age, you can say what I'm about to say. By the grace and kindness of God, I've come too far to go back. 
The side road is worse. I've seen what happens to those who swerve from the path, who get stuck on the path, to those who aren't grounded and settled, to those who let suffering make them unwilling to serve. And this is no place to spend the night. (laughs) This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I don't feel at home in this whole world so much anymore. If you continue. Sometimes the path is painful and sometimes the progress slow. Sometimes there's opposition every single place we go. Sometimes the heavy burden seems much more than we can bear. And trials and temptations both afflict us everywhere. The side road seems attractive and the will of God quite tough. Our labor is so intense and of God's way we've had enough. And those who live for pleasure never seem to have a care. Their paths are smooth, their loads are light and sunshine everywhere. Or maybe we'll just pause a while, take a semester off, come back in another year. Sometimes maybe we'll just pause a while, delay our God-called race, and later on we'll start again. We haven't left our place. The journey's still before us. Why, we only took a break. We'll pick up right where we left off. Good progress soon we'll make. But those who take a detour, And those who stop and rest are never those who have the joy of knowing our Lord's best. For trials increase our faith and every burden makes us strong. And blessings come to those who labor hard and labor long. Pastor Chappell's been here 35 years and I'll guarantee he's done 80 years worth of work. The detour brings disaster and the pauses just increase. And soon our lives are filled with grief and tears that never cease. Our Lord has planned our journey, every step he wants to guide. And he'll protect and shelter us with every need supplied. So young people, Continue down the pathway of God's will, determined by his grace that every purpose you'll fulfill and you'll, your life on earth and joy. And when your race is run, you'll gaze upon our Savior's face and hear him say, well done. 